Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so excited you're here. Welcome to episode number 470. Today on the show, I have Maddie Jackson Selectman, and Maddie came across my radar because, A, she's got the cutest little book cover out ever to be in the world, but she walked through some incredible grief as a very much newlywed, and so I read her book, I devoured it and loved it, and today she's coming on the show and we're talking about the grief that she walked through. Maddie lost her husband really close to their one-year anniversary and then penned this phenomenal memoir of talking about her story and walking through grief. And the truth of the matter is I've never lost a spouse and some of you have that are listening, but probably most of you haven't, but we all have grief in our life and we all are going to grieve things. And Maddie talks about, it's not if we grieve, it's when we grieve. It's going to be a part of all of our journey. And she talks about finding God in the midst of that and really trusting him when we sometimes don't get what we want. It's just a really great episode and she's amazing. And I want to go to Nashville and have her pick out wine for me. You'll understand why in the interview. Guys, if this is your first time or if you've been here forever, if you enjoy the show, we would really love it if you would give us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Super simple. Give us five stars. We'll take five stars. Uh, and the reason we ask for this, like I always tell you, is because it really helps more people find the show. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, we would love for you to share with the world. All right, guys, here is my conversation with Maddie. Maddie, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. I told you before I've listened for a long time. So you were at the top of my list, honestly. You're so kind. So I'm sorry if my publicist harassed y'all for a long time. That's why. <laughs> You're like, keep asking, keep asking. Oh, don't give up. Don't give up. This is the encouragement for everyone today. Just keep asking, you know, just don't give up. Well, I'm glad that I'm going to get to know you in the next couple of minutes and everyone else as well. I actually read your book over the weekend. And so I really got to know a lot about not you as a whole person, but just a part of your story of the last couple of years called Lemons on Friday, trusting God through my greatest heartbreak. And so I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listener and then we'll dive into this book. So you can give us an overview of where you're coming from, but I would love to really talk about this more. Totally. Yeah. So my name is Maddie. I'm a Nashville native. I live here now um, and really have my whole life besides college and a brief stint in Austin. I read that in the book. And so what did you do here? Oh my gosh, literally nothing. You said you work at a restaurant. Yeah. So I worked actually at Sullivan's like right downtown, the old Sullivan's, the steakhouse. Yep. But that's where I have always loved food my whole life. Like grew up cooking with friends, like making homemade pizzas. My dad tricked me into learning how to make brownies when I was seven. So my mom didn't know he was eating them. Like it was just (laughs) food was always a part of my life. And then when I went there, sort of got exposed to the wine part of it because it was, you know, fine dining and whatnot. And fell in love with that. And I did my whole certified sommelier stuff in Austin, which, as you know, is an awesome place to do that. And did several different jobs in that industry and then came back to Nashville in 2014. And it was always going to be home, but I loved Austin, just the culture, 
you know, all the fitness stuff and just the food and the wine and all that. So anyway, we do say it's like the best place to live. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. So I had a great time there and then came back home and opened a restaurant here in my mid twenties, which I loved and was such a fun and challenging and difficult and rewarding project and yeah. season in the midst of that time met and fell in love with and married my husband, Ben. And during that season of the chaotic, you know, hospitality industry and starting a new life with a person, it ended up being a little more than I could handle. And I felt actually relieved kind of the Holy Spirit said like, well, you can be done with this season. And so I ended that in 2018 with the hope of trying to do some sort of writing for women in ministry of some sort. My degrees in creative writing. My dad's a very successful songwriter and singer. Are you going to say it or are you going to make me say it? Oh, my dad's Alan Jackson. So I grew up very much in a household that loves storytelling and music and words and all that. So it's always been on my heart. And this is the very long way of saying after the brief stint in my 20s of all the food and wine stuff, God really called me back to this passion that I've always had since I was 19 and, you know, have told the closest people to me that I wanted to be an author since I was in college and never, of course, would have imagined this is the first book I would have written. But right. I do look back and I remember dad saying to me after college, right before I moved to Austin, I think you have a talent and you need to live your life and you'll end up writing about your life. That is profound advice right there. I need everyone to make sure they hear that because I have even spent time and I don't think that's just for a writer either, Maddie. I feel like this is just like life, like live your life and you'll have something to talk about, live your life and you'll have something to teach, live your life and you'll have ways to grow. Yeah. I love that. Did you have that in this book? Have I heard? Because I feel like I read that. It is in the foreword. Yeah. Which my parents wrote. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to the rest of your story, which is a lot about what your book, and I think it's just beautifully written. And I just want to say thank you, even though, like you said, it's never what you imagined your first book would be, but I don't want to skip over something that is so very important. That you are a, I don't know how to say it either. Sami, so, say it for me. Somalier. Somalier. Yeah. I don't think the listeners might not understand how big of a deal that is. I mean, that is a huge <laughs> deal, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot more than I anticipated when I started it. Like I'm imagining, Maddie, that I could open up a bottle of wine and you'd be like, you would smell it. And then you would go, <laughs> mm, <laughs> this is from the land <laughs> of Italy. Probably from the East Coast. (laughs) Like, that's what I'm imagining that you would do. I mean, I was trained to do that. I could have done it a lot more accurately five to six years ago than I could today, but I would give it my best shot. I need afterwards for you to send me a text that tells me, and I can inform the listeners, you got $20, you got $40, you got $60. What bottle of wine do you get? That's what we need in our life. Absolutely. I need that text message ready to pull up every time (laughs) I'm at the store. And I'll even ask you to go down a little bit to like $15 if we're going to be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where I live. That's where I live. And you would give us the best one. So thank you for that. I just think that's beautiful. I know one other person that has accomplished that and it is a task. So congratulations. Well, I want to talk to you about your book and it's called, like I said already, it's called Lemons on Friday and beautiful title, by the way, Trusting God Through My Greatest Heartbreak. And you said this is not the book you would ever dreamed of writing. And it's just the way that God orchestrated your life. But what you do in this, I'll let you tell the story of what happened and what led you to write this book. But what you do so beautifully in this book, Maddie, is you walk the reader through your own personal story of grief and your own personal story of healing, while at the same time inviting them to figure that out for themselves as well. And so 
such a great need to book. And I'll tell you, I read it over the weekend and I don't share the story of yours. I have never lost anyone close to me, but I was changed and moved by your book. And so this is for all of us. So walk us back to what happened in your life early on in your marriage to your husband. Yeah. So thank you for saying that. And right about, I guess, to pick up where I left off after I closed my restaurant and decided that I wanted to go into something more ministry focused, writing focused, had no idea what that was going to be complete scary blank slate with the Lord being like, trust me. It's like, okay, that's, that's fun, right? Yeah. Directive <laughs> yeah. prayer. Perfect. And it was about three months after I closed the restaurant. It was Labor Day weekend of 2018. And Ben and I, and both my younger sisters and their boyfriends and some friends went down to Florida for a trip for the weekend. My dad's a huge fisherman. He loves boats. So he's got a fishing boat down there. And we were going just to celebrate several birthdays that had just happened and went out for a dinner cruise, da, da, da. went to a great little spot that a good family friend of ours owns right on the intercoastal there. They have like tiki bar dancing and all this stuff. And so when we were leaving that night, we were going back up on the boat and it was kind of wet. There had been a little thunderstorm while we were there. And Ben just as casual as anything was kind of helping us get up on the boat and the tide had come up. And so he stepped up on the metal steps to help some of us and his sandal hit it and slipped and he fell back in his head on the concrete dock. And, you know, I saw this happen and obviously ran over and was concerned, but I mean, it really did not strike me as much more than, you know, like a high school football injury. I mean, your boys play football, like you've seen that and they just pop back up and maybe they have a concussion, they keep going. And, you know, by God's grace, there were some off-duty EMTs at the place where we were and on the dock and they ran over and sort of checked them out and they said, yeah, you need to go to the ER. And of course, I have no idea where we're going. I don't know what the hospitals are. So they facilitate an ambulance. We go and, you know, at that point, I'm starting to get worried and I'm pretty disoriented, but I'm like staying hopeful. They just need to check them out, whatever. They come back and, you know, the neurosurgeon comes in after the scans and says, you know, he's starting to get some pretty severe brain swelling. We don't need to do surgery right now, but we need to watch it. And we likely, you know, will have to. And so, you know, the words brain surgery will shock you back into reality very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so at that point I call his parents, my parents, thankfully they both came down the next day and he was awake for the first 24 hours, which is such a gift from God and not super cognizant, but knows who everybody is and you know, is talking and holding my hand and all the same stuff. And so at the end of the first 24 hours was when I got the call and they said, look, we've got to go do this for surgery. They do a craniectomy from there. He's in a medically induced coma for 11 days, multiple surgeries. And we get to the 11th day and Ben's father and I sit down with the neurosurgeon and she says, you know what? His intracranial pressure has been solid for three days. We're going to start pulling him off the medicine, try to wake him up. You know, at this point, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like mm-hmm. this has felt like 12 yeah. years and it's been 12 days. And, you know, his dad even asked her at this point, is this still fatal? And she said, you know, I can't tell you no, but from a neurological standpoint, it shouldn't be. And so we're thinking he's coming out of this. Like we're yeah. finally here on the other side. And yeah. I'm bracing for years of rehab and like, maybe his personality is different. Like, I don't know if this is going to be the same guy that I married, but they said, you know, we're going to do one more scan. As long as everything's good, we'll start waking him up. And she comes back and says, you know, I'm so sorry, but he's had multiple strokes under the pressure of just his body being operated by machines. We don't really know what happened, but you know, he's brain dead and here Mm. are your options. And at that point still, 
for one, so exhausted and in shock. And this was late in the evening that I just said, I can't make a decision about this right now. And so, you know, we went back to the hotel for the night. I said, we need to rest. And I just sat on the balcony in a weirdly, darkly poetic way, looking at the ocean, because mm. that's where we were. And I remember sitting there and just like yelling out and being like, I'm not doing this. Like, God, if you are as powerful as the ocean in this entire universe and you can control these tides by the moons and like a breath from your lungs, then like you can save him and I'm not pulling him off of life support. Mm. So if you're going to take him, you have to do it. That was the only thing I knew to do. And, you know, at that point, I'm still thinking he's going to make my husband a miracle. Like we're going to walk out of that hospital. People are going to be praising God and like turning Mm -hmm. our hearts over to Jesus. And he's going to be a miracle. And in the middle of the night, got the call from the IC nurse that said, you know, his heart's failing. And if y'all can get here, we can keep him alive. And he passed around three in the morning on September 12th, 2018. And that was about three and a half years ago at this point. And it still feels surreal to me. Mm -hmm. And especially to see my story be public and to have gone through the whole process of reliving and rewriting and continuing to see what God did in my heart, even Mm -hmm. though it's like people are, oh, this is helping me. And it's like, if if I was the only person that ever read this book, it would have served its purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, first of all. I've already told you, I read the book over the weekend and I was talking with my family about it actually. And at the very beginning, I read these two paragraphs, my family, after I told them your story. And I'm going to read them here to the listener because I think it sets up our conversation about how we sometimes think that we as Christians, nothing like this is going to happen to us. We don't get suffering. We don't have pain because we're Christians. And you debunk that pretty early, not only with your own personal story, but even with scripture. And you talk about that in the very end of the book. So I'm going to read this from you. It's from the very beginning of the book. It says, I'm starting to see that the real subtitle of the Bible is Lemons on Friday, which is your title. But we never lead with these promises for suffering. We never start with the agony of crucifixion Friday, but with the glory of resurrection Sunday. We do all we can not to live our lives in the fear of Friday or Saturday, but to hoard, herald, and hold captive the joy of Sunday. Why wouldn't we? We long for Sunday just as we long for lemonade. Sour lemons, suffering, and death aren't much of a sales pitch to follow Christ. Come hurt with us. Come bear the broken world's bullets with us. These are words you'll never see on the church's marquee sign. But the truth is, and this is what I underlined and read to my family. You said this in your book. But the truth is, in vain attempts to evangelize and convert, we've diluted the gospel into sugar water for the sake of the Great Commission. In trying to pacify our doubts and bolster our broken hearts, we hold tight to the promises, victorious endings, but hush their assurance of painful beginnings. And I read that and I asked myself, like, do I do that? Am I so afraid? And I have endured my own pain and suffering in life differently than yours. But when you wrote that, did you come to terms with that, you know, in September of 2018? Or had you seen that previously? No, I definitely didn't. That was not anywhere near my immediate reaction. But I will say that passage is almost unedited from a very early journal of mine. Was it out of like, why didn't anyone tell me this? I think so. That's what I feel a little bit is I was lied to. Right. Yeah. Because honestly, when we were in the ICU, we did quote unquote, everything we were supposed to do. Like I carried that Bible all over the hospital and talked to people about the Lord and prayed for their loved ones in the ICU. And my mom legitimately like stopped the surgeons who were prepping him to go into surgery to ask if she could pray over the whole team. And I know they were thinking this idiot's about to kill this guy herself because we've got to go. But like, Mm -hmm. that was our whole 
posture toward it. It's like, we're going to not do the things from a legalistic standpoint, but like, we're going to praise you in the mm-hmm. storm, not knowing how this is going to end. And like, shouldn't that get us the miracle? Mm-hmm. And there's no way to not feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a long time, I think the biggest thing I had to grapple with is do those things and those practices even matter? Because we did them and he died. So, so was it worthless? What does this mean? Yeah. And I think that was a whole part of sort of that sentiment of why do people claim healing and why do people pray for miracles when they so often don't happen? And when they so often don't happen, why don't we talk about it? Mm. And so I think it did come from a little bit of anger and a little bit of false hope that I think we sometimes get from the church from a good place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I held out hope to the end and I would do it again and I would do it for anyone else in my life who is suffering. But there is this big spiritual letdown when it doesn't happen. And this book is me working through that. And I think I found peace in working through those questions and sort of that discomfort of the truth of what the Bible really is. Because the more I read Job and went through the patriarch, like I did learn more scripture that year than ever, because I started to see those stories look like mine. Mm -hmm. Like they start out with struggle and they start out with questions and they start out with trust me. And then, you know, hard roads and bad mistakes and deaths and God always weaves good into it. But I think we cherry pick what we pull from scripture And I don't blame the church or myself or anyone who taught me about the Bible that because we want lives that are easy. And we want Sunday too. I mean, to carry on with what you said, Sunday is real, you know, and the eternal Sunday is coming for all of us where there won't be any more pain and suffering, but we do almost live in that middle here. You know, the people that I've talked to that have gone through grief on the show before, they all say the same things. Like I'm telling you, it is amazing to hear the same things of this, like the cycle of grief that you go through with the anger and the fear and this, all of those, I don't know all of them, but they all go through them. One thing that people often tell me, and I'm going to ask you if this would be true and don't feel like you can't say it's not, if it's not, but they often tell me I knew God in a deeper way than I ever had before in the midst of that grief. Oh, 1000%. Yeah. I mean, immediately goes to the Psalm, I think maybe 34, that God is near to the brokenhearted Mm -hmm. and looks really great on a pillow, you know, but it's like really freaking true when you are at rock bottom. And I'll say that with the caveat of, I believe the only responsibility we have in that is to take a tiny step toward him. And then he takes leaps and bounds toward us. Like, I think the most sacrificial and cry that you can ever offer is, I hate what you did with my story, but I need you in it with me. And I Mm. think that is a really painful praise to him. You know, I learned in little ways how I could start to walk back toward him and to daily rhythms with him and trust with him. And I think part of what I hope comes through in my story is that that was not (laughs) a cakewalk for me and that I never wavered from him. But there were days where I felt like, what's the point? Yeah. People struggle and they do feel my mom used the words betrayed by God. Yeah. She said, I felt betrayed by him and let down by my very best friend and father. And it took her a while to walk back into his arms. But when you're honest about how desperately you wish that God had acted differently in your story and in your loss, and yet still go back to him, that is the ultimate expression of faith, right? That's not doubt, that's surrender. And 
And that honesty of you saying, I don't think I've ever heard it said before, like how you just said it. I hate what you did in my story, but I need you here in my story. And that is honest. That is bold. And it is almost like I'm clinging to anything that I know that is true that's left is you. Mm -hmm. But I still have this feeling of, I hate what you did because you were a Christian already and grew up loving Jesus. Did you sometimes feel guilty for saying that? Or were you like, whatever, (laughs) my husband's gone. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. I think I did it first and I was very cautious as to who I was honest with about that feeling. And I don't know that I was honest with myself about it for a while. There's a part in there where I talk about, because I have an organization that serves windows that we started building in that summer right before Ben's accident and sort of just fell naturally onto the platform of, okay, I'm going to be the window ambassador for this. And everybody's going to see me do this in real time because of Nashville is my organization and because my family is public. So I think because of that jumped right into here's how my faith is going to carry me through this. And like, here's what God is doing in my heart. And all of that was sincere. None of that was misconstrued, but I think it took me five to six months to realize that I had just tried to put a scripture bandaid on something that was machete wound. Yep. I had to get down yep. to the, the basis of how tragic this heartbreak was mm-hmm. if I was ever going to really heal. And my faith was always a part of that, but it took resisting using my faith as a crutch. Yeah and letting it actually be like a scalpel that cut back everything that wasn't true about what I believed. And I had to be mad about it because there's no way if you trust a God who you believe is totally good and totally in control. And he either, I write, planned for or allowed Ben to fall and for his body to shut down. You can't believe those things 100% and not be mad about it. Mm. And you cannot fully reconcile your heart to God without being honest with him, just like any other relationship in your life. And so I was very sincere about the fact that my faith is what was carrying me through, but it also couldn't mask the depth of the pain of that sort of tragedy. I love that so much because again, it's so honest of going, okay, my faith is the only thing that's going to sustain me, but I can't just Christianize my way out of this. I just can't say all the right things and pull out all the right Bible verses at the right time. Like I got to be like effing mad. Yeah. I don't know if I can say yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's your show. My show. That's <laughs> right, Maddie. <laughs> if you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn.
You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You say in here, you're talking about grief. And I think that grieving is something that you don't have to lose someone to walk through. I think that we're experiencing grief in ways in the last couple of years during this pandemic that we never would have imagined or categorized even as grief. And you say in here, you say grief often leaves us feeling helpless because the only way to navigate grief is to quit trying to navigate it at all. You said life chooses for us when we are to grieve, not if we are to grieve, because we all will. And for you personally walking through this, you touched on this just a minute ago about how you kind of just became this spokesperson for this, which that just makes me literally cringe about the unfortunateness of the publicness that you come from with your family. And then the, I don't know if irony is a good word, the organization you had started just a few months before where one of the people groups that you serve, people groups, that's probably not the right word. One of the groups of women that you serve are widows. I mean, just, and then all of a sudden here you are. Yeah. It sounds made up. It does sound made up. (laughs) And yet here you were. So I just like, when you talk about like, you know, you're going to, it's not if we grieve, but when we grieve. What did that process look like for you? Were you at the very beginning? I mean, you talk a lot in the book and you don't need to go through it about kind of retreating to your house and having people come over. All that's understandable. But life in a weird way, it does keep going on. You have a job, you have friends, you have family. Like how does grieving enter into life just keeps moving? I think that's one of the hardest parts about it, honestly, is that 
even though there are many others who are affected by the loss of anyone or anything. I mean, if you have, if you're a breadwinner for your family and you lose your job, that affects your entire family and probably many more people. You're never alone in it, but it, you know, if you're the one who it affects most directly in your day-to-day life, then there is inevitably a point at which other people's day-to-day start to look the same as they did before and yours never will. And I think that is almost, it's not harder, but it almost is, you feel more alone then than you do at the beginning of whatever the loss is. Because people, if you have any sort of supportive or loving community, which I pray people do, they rally around you as we should. And like you experienced. Yes, exactly. And, but there's a point where others can sort of go back into regular rhythms of your life and you're left looking down the barrel of something that looks like nothing but question marks and you have no idea how anything is going to play out. Mm -hmm. And that's really scary. And it's also difficult because I think especially as believers and for better or worse as women, we like dread feeling like a burden to Mm -hmm. people. I just felt like a burden to everyone. I was like, I feel like the Snoopy character yep, with the uh-huh. clap just yep. everywhere. And I'm not, I'm a very optimistic person, like almost to a fault. But even still, I just felt like everyone around me was being weighed down because mm-hmm. they knew the depth of the grief that I was going through. And no one knows how to handle it. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. What is that? Do you remember when your life started to look kind of quote unquote back to normal again? I'm using air quotes here because I yeah. understand the reality of that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think it was more in the small things than in big ones. Truthfully, there's a weird sensation when you are grieving of every part of your mental, emotional, physical capacities just feel empty. And so in that regard, I didn't feel motivated or interested in doing a lot of my normal day-to-day things for a long time. I think I know because of conversations with hundreds of people at this point that that's pretty common. Mm -hmm. But I think there was this slow re-entry back into little things, one of which I talk about happened very early on and was sort of a catalyst for me and my best friend like wanted me to go get pumpkins to put out. And I was just like not having it. I was exhausted and upset and I can't even keep flowers alive. And it was just this whole thing. And I was like, I don't want to do it, but I know she's trying to love me. And so we went and just the whole story of me kind of begrudgingly going through the pumpkin patch and coming back and having this moment of sort of creative lightness Mm. in just arranging these stupid pumpkins. And it sort of sparked something in me like, this is not going to be a big revelation moment. There's not going to be a big fix it moment. We're not going to like run across a 26.2 mile finish line of grief. Like it's going to be a tiny thing one at a time that you either have someone who is in your inner circle with you, or you pray for the courage to do something that otherwise would seem so small, but in grief feels so gargantuan and God gives you that. And there's a little bit of lightness and a little bit of life that bleeds its way back in. And It started with that. And then I started journaling and then I started cooking again, which is a big part of my life. And then eventually like six or seven months down the road, I started exercising again. And so to answer your question, very long winded, I think it was a series of small things that I felt like I could do Mm -hmm. again, that were still going to be able to be a part of my life. Yeah. You say grieving takes courage. And most of the time that courage comes in very small doses. It's just little by little. I do love too, Maddie, that one of your friends was like, just come watch Yellowstone with us. Yeah, right. We're big Yellowstone fans over here. You know, one thing that I've talked about a little bit before, not often, but three of my kids are joined our family through adoption. And so there can be sadness and happiness within the midst of that. 
on Mother's Day, my kids can feel sad that for whatever reason, their story has turned out where their first mom couldn't parent them and they can feel happy that I'm their mom and those can coexist. And you talk about that a little bit in here. You talk about joy and pain coexisting. And I think that would be something that I would imagine would be surprising for someone who's grieving the first time they experience that joy. Like you even said, arranging those pumpkins and that they can coexist. And you said one of the, I love that at the end, you said, eventually the pain isn't the only voice in the room. And I think that's very hopeful for people who maybe right now are listening and are in a season of deep, 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 maybe very new and real grief is that you're saying, hey, there'll be a day when it's not the loudest voice in the room. And I know, you know, three and a half years ago, you could have never imagined that, but here you are on the other side of it. And that must feel very hopeful that you can say that. Oh, it does. And um, it took hearing that from a lot of widows ahead of me, I would speak to anyone, no matter what you're going through, is if you can find someone, particularly who can give you wise counsel, who is walking with the Lord, like it's hard to see hope in your own story. And if you can see someone else who has endured and has survived and has come back into a place of stability and joy and hope in their own lives, then like, Stand on their face when yours feels, you know, shaky. Like look to the redemption that you can visibly see in their life because you can't see the work that God's doing yet in yours. And I think that's crucial. And, you know, even like, I think a few weeks ago, I sat across the table at a Starbucks, one of my sisters, friend of friends, whatever, this is how I get connected Mm -hmm. with everyone now. And she's 27 and lost her fiance in May. And she was just coming to Nashville for a wedding. It's first wedding she was going to. She's distraught, understandably. And I sat across from her and I looked, she was so stressed about going to this wedding and her fiance was supposed to be in it. And I said, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, this is going to be brutal. Mm. This is going to be really hard. I said, but I promise you one day, all of those places that feel so raw because your fiance should be in them with you, they're going to start to feel a little bit more sweet and a little bit more sweet because you'll know what he would say in those moments. Mm. And you'll know what y'all would laugh at together in those moments. And think about those things because at one point throughout the day, a smile is going to sneak up on you. And that is the best you you could ask for right now. That's beautiful. You know? you know, I wish we had time for you to tell all the stories of dreams that you talk about in this book. I mean, because I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot even like gave me chills. I'm like, God, this yeah. is amazing. But you guys will just have to go get the book um, to read about the dreams people had have been. But before we finish, you said it's hard to see hope in your own story. And Maddie and all the listeners, this is actually one of the main reasons I do this show, The Happy Hour, Mm. is because Mm. I do, in my bones, believe that stories change the world. And what I mean by that is not this massive thing, but I mean your world. And so someone is listening to your story. And honestly, someone's listening to your story who's going to endure something tragic in a couple of years. And they're going to be like, I remember that show when that girl, her dad's like a famous country guy, (laughs) but her husband was, I remember it. And she said something and it stuck with them. And I'm just saying that is why it's so important for us as believers to be willing to enter into the uncomfortableness of even letting people into our hard spaces. And as much as, like you said, you did not ever imagine your first creative writing project would be about losing your husband, you know, weeks before your first year anniversary. And yet here you are, you know, and so you get to give hope. So I just want to say, I'd love that you said that. And it's why we do the show. And thank you for doing that. Okay. Now I want to hear about your organization. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So Nashville is the name of my organization. I had been wondering how to say it. I was like, how do I say this? Okay. Nashville. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And just to play on Nashville, so my co-founder and I are both natives. So with all of the growth and all the transplants and tourism and everything Nashville's been experiencing, we wanted something simple to celebrate Nashville, to welcome people to our city, to also empower women from a place of unity and a place of faith. And so we just do merch. We have women's merchandise and the proceeds go to support nonprofit partners we have serving one of our three missions, which are orphans or adoption, um, widows and victims of human trafficking. So we have core partners for each of those. And then we work with a lot of other organizations for like one-off fundraisers and drives and things like that. And really just try to advocate for and be a little lighter voice Mm -hmm. in those spaces for people because they can be hard conversations to have and basically leave the real work to the nonprofits. And we kind of serve as a bridge in the middle. But like you alluded to earlier, you know, I began that between closing my restaurant, which was June of 18 and then passing away in September. And so it was such, I deserve no credit for any of it. And basically, you know, the Holy Spirit forced me into it. And obviously now I see why. And so it's just such a incredible gift because had I not entered into that partnership with Brooke and started building that company and securing those missions, you know, there's no way I would have committed to do anything after he died. Mm-hmm. And I was already locked into it. And I've said many, many times, my biggest fear was that his death and our marriage and my pain wouldn't matter. And immediately God already had wow. me on the platform to see it matter. And so that's where we began with it. And obviously, you know, I grieved as it grew and in a way that let me feel purpose from the Mm -hmm. beginning, but it's just so intimately tied into my story and my co-founder story. She's an adoptive mom. And then Brooke worked with our Brooke, Ben worked with trafficking victims in Davidson County and he helped us build that part. Mm -hmm. So it's just so tremendously personal and special. And, you know, we're just going on three and a half years too. So we're learning, but that's what we do. And then I do a small podcast for it called She's in the City. And same thing, just sharing women's stories of overcoming and hope and enduring in real life so that we're not unnecessarily isolated in the things that we face. I love that. Everybody goes through them. I love it. I need to connect you with my friend, Holly, who just moved to Nashville and she runs an organization called Sanctuary Project, which started here in Austin, but they employ women who are out of trafficking. So that would be a really great connection. Oh, please do because yeah. Yeah, we'll do that for sure. You know, I want to ask you something before we go real quick is to kind of What does it feel like for those of us who may not be in the midst of this season right now? And you talk a lot about how sometimes you didn't want to do anything and you had this core group of friends who kind of stepped in and really loved you well in that season. And now you're three and a half years on the other side. And you mentioned I wanted, you know, my story and Ben and our marriage to matter. I remember a woman I interviewed one time told me that she loved it when people said his name. And she said, because people were kind of scared. Like, well, I yeah. don't know if we should mention him. And she loved it because it reminded her like he mattered. And so I don't know why that made me start crying. I would like to ask you, like, what is it? Like, what is it that you really feel loved when your community does? And I'd like to answer two ways real close after the tragedy. Yeah, That feels scary to walk through it with that with a friend. And it takes a lot on the friendship. And you can see those true friendships rise up. And then what does it look like, Maddie, three and a half years on the other side? How do you feel loved and how do your friends help you remember Ben? Yeah, that's so good. You know, early on, especially if it's a spouse, I think your biggest fear is being alone when you don't want to be. And I will say 
the way that my people stepped up was tremendous. And I think I did not spend a night alone unless I chose to for at least probably six weeks. And Mm -hmm. I think the simple answer to that is just presence, whatever that means on whatever day. And I'll say that with a very practical caveat of what you want to do is say, how can I help you? But when you're that new in grief, like you just have no idea what you want. So in a very direct way, if you want to reach out to someone, maybe give them two options, you know, like give them a closed ended question and say, Hey, do you need your laundry done today? Or can I bring you something to eat? Or like, would you like me to stay and eat with you or just drop this off? And those kinds of things are very helpful, make you feel very loved. And I think you actually have the mental capacity to pick A or B. I've heard people say that before, that in those moments, hey, do you need anything? It's like, I can't even think about what my name is. I don't know if I need anything. But that like, hey, would you like Mexican food or Italian food tonight? I'm bringing it seven. Yeah. Done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So that's just a practical thing. But, you know, now it feels like people are less afraid to say his name and to talk about it now, rightly so, because I'm not a disaster as much anymore, you know, so I've healed. So they feel like they can incorporate him. But I think that when you lose anyone, I felt some sort of responsibility in a good way to not let the world forget him and to carry him on. And I think I'm sure you feel that way, whether it's a parent or a spouse or a friend, you know, and just like you said, like our stories are powerful. And I think there's this real fear of as I start to heal, am I going to forget mm. our stories? Are people going to forget our stories? And it's just not true. I'm finally at a place where I know that it's not true. Like that's good. It's both and. And I think it almost gets a little bit like I told that young woman at Starbucks, it gets a little bit sweeter to remember them once those wounds start to become a little more scar tissue mm. and people are more ready to rejoice with you because it's just time really does close emotional wounds in the same way that it does physical ones. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Maddie, thank you. I mean, thanks for being vulnerable enough to tell this story because writing a book means you got to talk about it for like two years. And so this is like, I don't know, that's a lot to go through. And I'm sure it's also, there's probably been a lot of healing involved in you kind of going back and processing this. But like I said in the beginning, this is such a phenomenal book for anyone walking through grief, but it's also just a good book to remember hard things in life don't always just involve grief and how God is with us and how we can walk through it. And I love your honesty with that. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. I'd love to hear from you. What are you loving? What are you reading? So I am reading Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Oh my goodness. It's so I'm good. Obsessed. It's so Honestly, good. It's, I was like, oh, this is kind of a quick book. I'm going to just plow through it. No, no. Mm-mm. You've got to sit in those chapters. It's so good. It's beautiful. And honestly, that's such a um, hijacker show and keep talking. But one of the things that I love most about the Lord that I didn't know until going through all this is how tender and personal Mm. he is with us. And I think you feel that most in your brokenness, which we have covered. And I think the picture that he paints in Gentle and Lowly is so spectacular and so scripture rooted. Mm. And you just want to like give Jesus a hug because you know, he's just like exploding to hug you too. It's just the coolest book. 
Dan was on the show last year. So back in May and you can find that show. It was episode 395. So great, great, great guy. Great book. Great show. Very superficial level. I am loving the Viore brand like lounge stuff. You're like the third person that's told me this yeah. in real life, <laughs> not on a podcast yet. And so I'm feeling okay. like this little urge to try it out. It's so cozy. Full disclosure. It's not like most of it is not meant to actually exercise. Like it is very athleisure centric, <laughs> okay, got it. but it is so soft and I'm just, I mean, I live in it. Yeah. Like we live at home mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Really cool. Loving it. Well, I love that so much. Maddie, thank you. Thanks for coming on the happy hour. I appreciate it so much. I really do. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.